0: To Judea, and now we're in the ends of the earth at that point in time, and we're we're following Paul and company, and we're learning about ministry and mission in the kingdom of God. And I so appreciated Pastor Gina's sermon last week. And say a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, how to persevere through difficulty. And. I wanna, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna carry on on that theme this morning, but before we read the text, I wanna make two brief comments. One of them is, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we sometimes have distracting things happen during sermons. You notice that while we're preaching? Yeah? Maybe it's just me. (laughs) Anyways, what I wanted to say about that was, if something happens that's distracting to you, the most helpful thing to us as a preacher would be if you would just follow us and let the non-preaching pastor or one of the elders handle the distraction. Let's just pretend it was over there and somebody's cell phone over there went off or somebody was making a distraction on this side of the sanctuary. Just trust that one of the, the elders of the non-preaching pastor will go and deal with that distraction. And for me or for Pastor Gene, it's really helpful if you just would stay with us. Okay? Good. Second thing is, I want to say something about the word grace and how we're using it in sermons. You're hearing us as we go through Acts talk about the grace of God and how do we see God's grace at work in this text and that text. And that could be, it could be a little bit confusing for some of you if you're thinking about grace as the gift of God's forgiveness of sins. Because that's what we, we most often use the word grace to talk about. But when we see, say grace, This way, we're using it really widely to talk about anywhere that we see God at work. Whenever God's doing something, if he's moving or working in any way, it's grace. So we're always looking for God's action. When we open up his word, we're saying, God, how are you at work? And how he's at work is grace. Okay? So let's pick up the story, Acts chapter 17. Starting at verse 16. And we'll just remind ourselves that Paul was scurried out of Berea at night quickly. There was a mob being formed. He was in danger. It was discerned by the new Christians. He needed to leave And so he was accompanied all the way down to Athens, which was several hundred miles away. And so here we pick up, and it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked Carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Another translation says, And the exact places where they should live. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of God. So I mentioned to you I really appreciated Pastor Gina's sermon last week, and in particular I really appreciated this little graph that she had here where she talked to us, if you weren't here, about um, persevering in following God's guidance in life in the kingdom, and these highs and Lowe's and how they moved one after the other, God would um, gift Paul and company to be able to share the gospel and they would see fruit and response and then there would be this violent counteraction to that. And then on to another place and again, God bears great fruit from them and then counteraction. And she talked to us about the grace of God to persevere and so I was thinking about this little... Curve this week, and I was thinking, it didn't start. Like it didn't start in Thessalonica. Actually, before that there was another piece of the curve, and it was Philippi. And what happened in Philippi after Lydia came to Christ down by the river and her family came to the Lord? The text says um, Paul drove out an evil spirit who was being used to predict the future, and uh the young slave girl's owner got angry and and um, stirred up a mob there, and that he and Silas were taken into the marketplace, and they were beaten with rods, and they were flogged that's that 's um, a tearing of the skin with hooks that are on the end of a whip, right so they were beaten with rods, and they were flogged to within an inch of their life, and then moved on to Thessalonica. And then there's a riot. And then onto Berea. And then there's a riot. And then Pastor Gina. So, so first, um, at this point in their journey, which is Paul's second missionary journey and is going to be three thousand and fifty miles total, much of which is on foot, they've gone about fourteen hundred miles. And so, then Pastor Gina said to us, "There's more grace." There's more grace as they move on, as they persevere to the next location, and as they keep following God's call in their life. And so I found myself wondering, what is the more grace? As they get into Athens, what is the more grace that God's going to pour out on them? And I thought to myself, what, do, what would I really hope that that grace would be? I'm thinking about the tenderness of a body that's been beaten and torn and then traveled with wounds, and then traveled some more with wounds, and then traveled on a ship with wounds, and arrives in Athens, I think, pretty beat up and tired. And this is the grace that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice if God's grace would be that Paul would go into Athens, and he would find himself a little Airbnb, cottage by the sea I mean he's waiting for the team to come and doesn't he need rest doesn't he need to just slow down for a while and put on a good cup of tea and a pot of chicken soup and rest in the presence of the Lord with great beauty and that's not God's grace for Paul at this time it's not what I would predict. It's not what I would want. It's not what I think we would want. Instead, God's grace to Paul is this, the grace to grieve. That might sound a little strange to you at first, but hear this out. The text says that Paul is greatly, our, our English says it's he's greatly distressed as he walks through Athens and he sees these idols and actually, the English is not strong enough. The, the words there mean he's provoked or he's upset to the point of severe emotional concern. I don't know what severe emotional concern looks like to you, but the first image that came to me when I thought about that was uh, a woman <laughs> getting ready to give birth. Now I know that that's not always an emotional concern, but it carries a lot of emotional concerns with it. But Paul uses this language, and he writes about the Galatian church, and he says, he says to the Galatians, "I'm I'm in anguish as a woman giving birth to a child." This is his picture of anguish. And so I'm thinking when he talks about severe emotional concern, that this is like a full emotional physical reaction. He's worked up. He's in anguish. Over what he sees as he walks through the city of Athens. It's got him, it's got him in pain. This isn't just, he's walking down the street of Athens and, oh, these people like, look at those idols, like this isn't mere observation. Oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. This is pain. Paul's walking through the city of Athens and he hurts. He's concerned. He's worked up. And you're calling this grace, Pastor Dave. Why is this grace? Because this is the sign of somebody who shares God's heart. This is the sign of somebody who walks closely with the Lord. You don't take on this kind of a concern, this kind of a burden for people around you If you don't share God's heart. And so the grace of God in and through Paul is pain. Pain for what he sees. Pain for what he knows. Pain over people that are disconnected from God, from his love, that are bound up in slavery to the demonic spirits that are behind the idols that they're worshiping. People that are living in fear and control by that. The things that they're worshiping. And Paul is in Pain. He's in pain. Call this grace because as I reflect on Paul's emotional burden for the city of Athens, I think it takes something out of him to have that experience. I think it's not easy, even though it's grace. And I think to myself, what would keep me from experiencing that kind of a burden? It would be the idol of comfort. It would be personal comfort. It's much more desirable and easy to stay comfortable than it is to let myself experience distress over, for example, the fact that right now, about 500 to 1,000 yards from us, there are women selling themselves at Parkway Tropics. And there are men adulterating their marriages and blowing up their families a thousand yards from us. There's women wondering where their men are. There are college students who are just waking up with severe pounding headaches. Some of them wondering, why did I give myself away again last night? Why did I do that? And falling into a rhythm of self-hatred and self-anger. Others of them are waking up to meaninglessness and flicking on screens, small and large, and deadening themselves in front of it. them. There are children all around us wishing... Would mommy or daddy or somebody just pay attention to me? Would somebody just show me that I'm worthwhile? Would somebody not yell at me? It takes time and energy and effort to invest myself in the distress of other people. To imagine the pain of separation from love, of separation from the Lord, of not knowing, of confusion, of slavery. And yet, here's Paul with open wounds and a sore body and probably no less a sore spirit. And he's not waiting for the team to get there. He's not in the cottage by the seaside. He's like a one-man dynamo. And I'm not praising Paul. I'm just saying, this is a man who has glimpsed the love of Jesus Christ. He says to the Corinthians, the love of Christ compels me. It means it moves me forward. It sends me out. The love of Christ compels me. This is a man compelled by the love of Jesus Christ And so he's going to all levels of Athenian society. He's in the synagogue, reasoning. He's So he's in the church, saying, you know, the church of the day. Hey, everybody, have you heard the news? Do you know what this means? Do you know how wonderful this is? He's presenting Jesus. But he's not just in the church. He's in the agora. That's the marketplace. We don't have those the same way, really. But we've got places where people gather. So he's in the park. He's in the pub. He's on the campus. He's out engaging people. And he's, and he's in the Areopagus. That's where the intellectual elite, so that would be like the academy. But he's at all strata of, of Athenian society. What I want us to hear this morning first is that none of, none of this happens. The sermon doesn't come. These converts don't come. None of it comes. If Paul Doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to fill him with the love of Jesus that would allow him to experience distress. What distress is going on in Cedar Springs, right? Where are the needs? Paul allows himself and that moves him into dialogue and it's the dialogue that moves him into, it moves into questions that presents the opportunity to present the gospel. So then he meets this reaction and I think this is so beautiful. What's this guy talking about? What's this babbler talking about? Now think about this. He's met Jesus. He's experienced the eternal God. Personal presence. In another spot, another one of Paul's letters, he says that he was caught up to the third heaven and saw unspeakable visions and revelations. He knows he's right. He knows that what he's sharing is right. He knows God. He knows, and he's being mocked. Like a ba- he's a babbler. What's this guy? Yada 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 yada. Talking, 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 talking. It would be so easy to get offended. It would be so easy to be angry. It would be so easy to say, "Fine." It would be so easy to write off and push away and get mad and he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, he doesn't even pay attention to any of that. He takes the first sign of interest and it's, there's a hook and there he is. Hey, would you come with us to the Areopagus? And so this is the Areopagus. It's a rock outside of Athens that was used as a a tribunal a place of deciding things some say that it was the place where Socrates was tried and killed three centuries earlier Paul's taken there it doesn't say whether he goes by his own free will or he's just taken and doesn't have a choice I think he goes regardless because he longs to present the gospel and so he's given this opportunity to share and for a Four paragraph message. There's an incredible amount in here of, of wh- what we can learn from Paul about sharing the gospel. And I want to say you don't need to remember this all. You don't need to, you can write it down if you want to, but we can also, I can also make this available later for anyone who doesn't want to capture it all. You, you don't, you and I don't need to like go through this list every time we have the opportunity to share Jesus. These are just really helpful things that we can learn from Paul. So here's the first thing we can learn from Paul. He's a careful observer of culture. Paul says, I looked carefully. I looked carefully. And then later on he quotes a Greek poet, Aratus, when he says, we are his offspring. Now I want us to hear that this doesn't mean that Paul necessarily agrees with the philosophical system from which Aratus's quote comes But what Paul's doing here is he's he's seeing truth and he's affirming it and he's using it as a hook. He wouldn't do this in the synagogue or in the church. He would use the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not really going to be very helpful to these people here at, at first because they've never heard of it. It's not their context. And so he's observing their context. He's finding truth and he's latching onto that truth and then using it to speak to them. In other words, he finds a point of contact with them. Second thing he does is he connects with a felt need. And this I think this flows out of his careful observation. So he says, I see that you've got this altar to an unknown God. What you worship is unknown, I'm going to tell you about. Why would they have an altar to an unknown God? Because in that day and time, there was this view that there was a God of this and a God of that. And a God of fertility and of the sun and of the crops and of, you had to have a God for everything. And you had to keep those gods happy, lest you be, you come under their judgment. And so what if I missed one? Well, we'll just cover that ground by saying to any unknown God, And so Paul's saying, see, there's, a, there's, a, there's this need for within people to be right with God. Even though it's completely messed up in that culture and demonically inspired, it's still working off the human impulse, the human need to be right with God. To the unknown God, I want to please you. I want peace with you. I want you to be happy with me. I want to be right with you. And so Paul connects with that. He sees this connecting point and he uses that. Third thing that we can see in Paul is that he's bold and he's direct. So he says to them, what you're ignorant about, I'm going to tell you about. Well, Maybe we wouldn't always say it that way. But maybe there's a time and a place to be that direct. Because we don't do anyone any service by being indirect. We don't have to be rude, but we don't do anyone any service by being apologetic. Or, you know, we live in a culture in which there's the, the pervading spirit is, you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. Nobody can really be sure. And so you ought never to be arrogant enough to say that you know the truth. But you do. If you know Jesus, you know the truth. And so um, you hurt people. I hurt people when we hide that. Paul knows that. He's not afraid of being rejected. He's not afraid of having you stand in judgment over him. He's not afraid of you thinking he's arrogant. He's not afraid of anything except losing an opportunity to connect people to God. And so he says, you don't know, and I'm going to tell you. You need to know this. And when he starts to tell them, this is the the fourth thing we should observe. He starts with the creator of all and he asserts his sovereignty. In other words, he says... This again comes out of an understanding of the context. Jesus is not one God or one option among many. He is God. He is a part of the God who, head who created all things and. Paul goes on for a bit, but what he's doing is he paints this picture that's saying, he's really lifting people's eyes up and he's saying, you're looking at this and this and this and this and this. No, there's one God who's living and real and he's over all and he's made all things. And by lifting up their heads, he's saying, this is a God who's worthy of worship and of a response. You need to pay attention. There's one living God who made all these things that you're worshiping. And it's in that context that he then begins to present the message of Jesus, which comes later in his message. But first, he sets the context by saying, one God, creator of all. That's a message that we may not have had to preach 40 or 50 years ago, but that's a message that needs to be preached again these days. One God, creator of all. And then what Paul does is he's, he moves from there and he's, he uh, appeals to the universal human thirst for God or for meaning. So the text says, perhaps reach out for him and find him. He says, Paul says, God put us where he put us, when he put us, so that we might perhaps reach out and find him. Literally, it reads, if perhaps they might grope for him. And it's a picture of like blindness, but looking. Blindness and yet searching. Paul knows that we all search. Whether we say it or not, whether we're verbally articulating or not, we're all searching. And so he appeals to that. And then when he makes that appeal, he calls for response. And uh, I think this is really important. We often appeal to people on the basis of God's love. And we ought to. But it's my observation that we also often end with God's love. God loves you and he gave Jesus for you and therefore you ought to receive Jesus. Or he invites you to receive him. What's, how does Paul end? Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere are commanded by the God who loves them to turn around from godless living, from rebellion against God, from idolatry, from everything outside of the garden. All people everywhere are called and commanded to turn around, to come to God. And he's very bold, he's very direct, and he says it straight out. He doesn't leave them with any second guessing. This is what you're called to do. And then, to put sort of an exclamation point on it, he's very candid with them about a future judgment. He says, God's going to judge the world by this man, Jesus. And the word he uses there is... Uh, the text says justice. It can mean justice or righteousness. So there's going to be a standard. God has a standard of holiness, justice, righteousness. He's going to judge the world by it. Through Jesus. And that's why he calls you to him. He's the standard. When you're in him, there's no judgment. I mean, we know this from Romans, right? There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. But if you're out of him... You're on your own. And so Paul's calling people to faith in Jesus. He's really candid. And the results of Paul's, I think, beautiful sermon are mixed. Again, like the babbler, some are sneering. (laughs) Resurrection from the dead. What's this guy thinking? But Paul's not in control of the results. He just brought the message and the seeds were sown and they took root in the hearts of Dionysus of a woman who was not at the Areopagus because that was only men and a number of others and a church is planted in Athens and the gospel goes forward and bears fruit and some of that idolatry is left and some of those people who were living in addiction and in slavery come into freedom, and come into new life, and come to Jesus. And there's a river of life that started in Athens. And there's a river of life that's going to start afresh in Cedar Springs. I want to end by telling you that this sermon's been difficult for me to preach, less to preach, more to think about for a couple of reasons. The first reason is when you preach a sermon, it's got to preach to you first. And you've got to embody it. And I felt like, I just felt a lot of grief in preparing this message because I I've, I've felt like there's been a real shift in my own ministry over the last few years in which I've really f- come to feel disconnected from our neighbors around us. And a part of that is because of, we've grown, and a part of that is because we used to have a wonderful coffee shop named Grace Space, and that just provided a lot of interaction with people that were coming in and out, provided relationships, that provided more relationships. But it's not there. And I'm just feeling a disconnect. So I'm grieving that as I as I meditate on the needs of those around us and the grief that the Lord invites us into over their needs. I'm feeling grief at a feeling of disconnection personally. But then I'm also feeling, this is the second thing, and Pastor Gina and I are both feeling this, a sense of grief for us as a congregation, more broadly speaking, and in the same area, feeling disconnected. And um, it's not that the Lord's not doing wonderful things. He is. As we open up our, our testimony time each week, we're talking about how the Lord is using us to share the gospel in the workplace and with family and friends. He's using us to share the gospel. We're growing in faith and expressing our faith all over but I really feel like we also at the same time are, have, have come, that during this, this same time period, have come disconnected in large part, not completely, from, our, congregate, from our, our context, from our neighborhood here. And I'm thinking about how Paul says in this text, God determined the exact times you would live and the places you'd be. So God determined that we would be this church, this family, in this place, at this time with these needs around us. He determined it. He has purpose for us. And I'm not demeaning any of the good things that God's doing in the other parts of our lives. I'm just finding myself wondering and praying about and yearning for what does it look like for more connection? Or in different words, what does it look like for God to give us the grace to grieve? to enter into the distress that Paul entered into, that was the distress that Jesus entered into? What does it look like? I can't answer that. But I can say that Jesus' love slash distress took him to a cross. Paul's love and distress took him through beatings all across the continent of Asia and the Middle East. Maybe as we live into this call that Pastor Gina gave or the Lord gave through her last week to be this noble and of good character people that love the word and search it, maybe part of the fruit of that will be a deeper sharing of the heart of God for the lost right around us. And maybe that will mean some radical changes in our lives. Maybe some of us that don't live in the neighborhood will move into it. Maybe some of us will say, Lord, my life seems pretty full. When I think about building relationships and noticing people, I don't think I have any time. Lord, I'd like to make time. What, what might you have me release? What could I give up? for the sake of making you known. I don't know. All I know is that there's 10,000 people around us and not very many of them know Jesus. And I want my own heart to be broken over that afresh. And I pray that all of ours will. I'm, I'm thinking about a visit that Pastor Gina made to Scott Green a couple of weeks ago. She was praying for him and she asked him to pray for us. Scott's in Kent County Jail. He's one of our members. And Scott said, how can I pray for the church? And Pastor Gina said, pray that as we seek God's direction for how to more intentionally and effectively connect with our neighbors that he'll, he'll give guidance and he'll show us how to do that. And Scott responded by saying, I will pray, but even as I'm listening to you right now, I'm thinking about how Anyone who lives in the neighborhood might want to walk over and talk to somebody. And if there was just somebody out shooting hoops, you might want to walk over to talk. Or if I was having a bad day, I might want to stop by and talk. But everyone's busy. Everyone's busy, he says. Everyone's too busy in the building. It's locked up and it looks like nothing's happening through the week. And the only time the church is open is on Sunday. And other than that, it doesn't seem like there's anyone to talk to. But I think there's people in the neighborhood that want somebody to talk to. And I think, you know, Pastor Gina heard that and she said to me, Dave, when Scott was talking, I had one of those pay attention moments. This is God. And as I listened to her share it to me, I had the same thing. I felt like, Lord, I think you're speaking to us just about all the people who just want to talk, who want love, who are looking for you. Help, Lord, We we don't know how to get there. We don't know what in our lives might need to change, but all I know is that it starts with... I, I can't take me there. I can't take us there. I just know it starts with my own heart being broken afresh. And it's not a heavy thing. It's not a pain. It's not a It's not a. you're not doing enough thing, Dave, or you're not doing enough thing, Tim, or you're not doing enough thing, Jan. It's entering into Jesus' life and love. There's no greater joy so I just want to pray. I want to end by praying that the Lord would do that in and for and through us, that, that um, we would look at our neighborhood and engage with it like Paul did to Athens. I know not everybody lives here, but this is what God's given us. So let's pray. Jesus, I'm remembering right now the way in which you cried over Jerusalem when you walked toward her and you, you said, you wept and you said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a mother gathers her chicks underneath her wings, a mother hen. Lord, I pray for your heart. I pray to have your heart. I pray for all of us to have your heart. Lord, and to live in the light of eternity that I would not mind more and more moving into discomfort to live out your life, that your life could be made known through me and through us. Jesus, you tell us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And so, Lord, we are asking you, together and as individuals. Fill us more and more with the love that moved you to move toward us and toward the darkness. Fill us more and more with the love that moved Paul to move with you toward the darkness. Fill us, Lord, and send us out. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we can love you because you first lavish your love on us. Amen.